What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hi, this is Dan Gilbazan, and you're listening to the GeekCast Radio Network. Jazz here. And I am so digging the GeekCast Radio Network. Cliff Jumper, commence countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Now, Toycast. Oh, yes. Listen in to the only toy podcast you will ever need. Hello, and welcome to Toycast. This is episode 149. I'm, of course, TF2 and Mike. We are back talking more toys, a toy topic this time around. Not a display case, not an origins, but a toy talk topic. And this is something that my co-host has been wanting to do since I brought him on, and we are now entering, as much as I don't want to, the watering hole of Waterworld Toys, and I welcome Mr. Floorburger himself. Nothing's free in Waterworld. Dryland is not just our destination, it is our destiny. It's just fucking dirt. Like, come on, get over yourselves. Kevin Costner, the Mariner, and oh my god, this movie. So, I have not actually seen the film since probably 1997, came out in 95, right? Yes. Yeah, so by 97 it was on VHS and, and all that. So, I I saw the film when I was 17 years old, barely remember it. I've watched the trailer and the Honest Trailers trailer for it, like, Four different times because I had to record the audio and I had to said later on after we finish this recording, I will have to separate sections of the audio to throw into the podcast. But this is your bag. This is your thing. This is part of, you say, a small part of your collection. But you never stop talking about Kevin Costner and Dennis Hopper. May the man rest in peace. About Waterworld. (laughs) Why? What is your fascination with this film and with this toy line. So I'm going to quote Dennis Hopper in that film where he said, let's have an intelligent conversation here. I'll talk and you listen. Boom. Burnt. Got you. Burnt. You're supposed to react there. You're supposed to say. You're supposed to just answer the question. Oh, okay. Uh, so the the long running obsession, let's just say obsession. I think it's going to be easier than trying to open up the the source on my computer. 
the long running obsession with Waterworld actually goes back to, I would honestly say maybe 1996, maybe 97, maybe 98. I actually don't remember when I first saw the film. I, I couldn't tell you if I tried. I did not see it in theaters. In fact, when it was first up for being rented, I remember my brother watching it. It was rented from Blockbuster, I would assume. If not Blockbuster, one of the local chains, I think a Palmer video or something like that. And I remember seeing him watching it and having zero interest in it. I was watching it uh, during the scene where... Do you remember when the Mariner takes Helen underwater in the diving bell? Sort of. Yeah, I've seen that scene like four times now, but yeah. So it's a famous scene because it's sort of a turning point in the film where the people in Waterworld realize, or at least one person starts to realize that the Earth has been flooded and you can still access some higher altitude cities because the city that they go through is actually Denver, which Mm -hmm. which is a higher altitude, obviously. And I watched it from upstairs. I could see down in the living room from downstairs and nothing about it seemed interesting. It seemed implausible that somebody could even dive 50 feet with a diving bell like that. I don't know the physics behind a diving bell, but nothing about it looked interesting to me. And this maybe was, I think it came out summer in 95 and rentals at the time were a little delayed, so it could have been winter, spring of 96, at least, I think, for that time time frame. And I just was like, poof, I do not care. <laughs> I, I didn't care about the toys when they first came out. I remember seeing them. I, I remember at one point in my life really not caring about these movie tie-ins. I, I think during our conversation with Scott Knight, like we we kind of learned that the toys that come out for a lot of movies and TV shows, they're really just advertisements for the shows. They're not really anything else beyond that. And I remember not caring about them. They were not my speed for toys when in, in 1995. So I was probably 11. So I, I, I was still kind of into toys, but not really anymore. We're talking fifth, sixth grade. So not really seeking out, toy lines that were anything more than the big iconic lines that were out at the time. Spider-Man, for instance, I would still do Spider-Man, maybe a little Power Rangers, but to spend time or interest in something like Waterworld, not my jam. Okay. And then seeing them at KB Toys. KB Toys is where toy lines went to die. It's kind of like Florida (laughs) for toy lines. Yeah. So ignored them there. Mm-hmm. I actually, I think, do I have any that have, I have a couple that have KB stickers on them still, which is kind of fun. Whenever I go to a toy show, if I see something that's really, really cheap and it still has a KB toys sticker on it, I usually try to pick it up anyways. So I think I borrowed a copy of it from a friend of mine. I remember the, the VHS had a slightly torn up, slightly beat up sticker. You know how the VHS had that center, maybe two by three, two by four sticker on, on the, the largest portion of it, not the side. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it was kind of torn and I can't remember my first experience watching it. I can't remember probably the second experience watching it, but there was something very 
initial about the cinematography that got me. Now, I know you haven't seen it. And like I said, I, I kind of wish I was watching it as we were sitting here. We could do a full three-hour watch-along of the uh, no. Ulysses cut. No, we will never do that on any of the podcasts here at the GeekCast Radio Network. Well, now that, you're have to, now that you're living closer to me, I might just have to drive down and enforce you. I don't have I, – I watch things on my phone. I don't have – I have a TV. It ain't hooked up. So, nope, that ain't going to work either. Okay, fine. <laughs> but I've seen the movie. I know, like the bit, like okay, for me, and I said this recently on another podcast. I don't know which one it is, but I, I personally am not. And this has nothing to do with Waterworld, but this is just me in general. I respect the horror genre, yeah. But Freddy Krueger and Jason scarred me as a five, six, seven, eight, nine year old in the eighties. I do not do horror films. And yes, I know technically Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is a superhero thing, but it's Sam friggin' Raimi, and Sam Raimi also does horror stuff. So for me, even though I love those characters, even though I would love I probably will never watch I, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Maybe if I was, you know, eventually down the line kind of thing. So my, my whole point in saying all of this is I can go read a Wikipedia article about a movie versus actually seeing the movie and be okay with knowing what the movie is about. So I know what Waterworld is about. And yes, I did, like I said, I did see it on VHS in 1997, but I have no memory of that because Batman and Robin was just superior. <laughs> you can't respond to that, can you? <laughs> so there are certain objective metrics that I could bring up to compare <laughs> Batman and Robin to Waterworld. Let's start with a little bit of history on Waterworld. Let's just go there. Let's just, sure. you know, and I and then I can bring up like what what appealed to me about it. So Absolutely. Waterworld was actually a script that was shopped around for a couple years before it went into production. It, it had its roots actually in Roger Corman productions. You know, the low budget sort of horror film dude, like the, he, yeah. he, he did some pretty crazy stuff. So that was like the first attempt. Uh, they couldn't do what the script was asking for, which is really funny because the script basically got butchered over the length of his existence and even during filming got butchered far more times. So when Kevin Costner finally picked it up, well, so the studio was looking for a big actor. They actually found the director first, which was Kevin Reynolds who had just recently come off Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So he was an established director and the studio was trying to figure out, Oh, who do we want to helm this Kevin Reynolds? sort of having some foresight and some challenges with Kevin Costner prior said, no, I don't want Kevin Costner. (laughs) They did not get along on Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He said, no, I would rather maintain my relationship with him and not have him as the current most bankable star of the early nineties. Like he, he was of the big bankable stars that studios wanted to take a gamble on. One of the only ones that probably could do this role. Yeah. Right. 
So they pick up Kevin Costner. Uh, they actually approach Samuel L. Jackson to do the Deacon role, the big antagonist, yeah. role, which I think yeah. would have been amazing. It would have been amazing. And you know why I know that is because recently. Okay. So I've, I've moved from Washington state to the state of Indiana. So you know how, when you move, you get all these, you're moving, add this to your new home. You know, you know, those, all those things. All right. I had a audible thing and the thing was like, get audible free for three months. And I've had audible before. I've actually been a, a audible member since 2011. So with my one credit for this current month of the new subscription, what did I choose out of my wish list to, to buy and listen to? Bad motherfucker. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Waterworld no. audiobook. No, no, hell no, hell no, hell no. It exists. So, there is an audiobook. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm actually looking at the Wikipedia article right now. I know there is. So Bad Motherfucker, which is written by somebody I don't remember, and it is it is uh, narrated by Phil Lamar. So, and Phil Lamar is is Phil Lamar. I mean, he's Green Lantern, he's Samurai Jack, he's all these characters, and he can do a sort of pseudo Samuel Jackson. So, I'm listening to all you know Samuel Jackson's story in Phil, and they, he actually talks about this in the book. And I was like, oh wow, that's really kind of cool that they wanted him for the role because I, as soon as I heard Phil started talking, I just like almost laughed out loud to myself because the first thing I'm like, Oh God, I know Josh is going to bring this up, which is fine because it's part of the history and it is what it is. Yeah. As far as bankable star, you're right. I mean, you know, you look at the, well, late eighties to throughout the nineties, at least through the mid nineties. So from 87 with the untouchables all the way to, Let's just say, play it to 1999. Uh, you know that that whole era of Kevin Costner. Yes, very very bankable. Yeah. So you think about who was big in the late 80s. You got Schwarzenegger. You've got Seagal. And I say that kind of throwing up a little bit in my mouth, but Seagal was. Yeah. Uh, he briefly was a popular star in that time. You've got Stallone, you've got, what's his name, Bruce Willis. So there are some known action stars, but as far as who could really convincingly and were available to play this role, there really wasn't anybody. It really, I, I really do feel that Kevin Costner was the best. His portrayal in this film is not good, but he was two things on the, this production that based on my my very astute amount of research has shown me is that one, he was one of the hardest working guys there. He was pulling six days uh, a week as, as a working man. Like he was on set six days a week filming, doing all the work. He was doing script writing. He eventually would take care of some of the editing rumor has it. He actually directed the, the, whatever the last shots of the film were because he and Kevin Reynolds got into a fight and Kevin Reynolds quit. So he was working really, really hard on this film, and it was a 157-day shoot, which is a very long shoot. And then he also was really expensive. He had a huge house rented out to him. He was on a yacht going to and from set in the ocean. 
that costs a ton of money. So a lot of people know this to be one of the most expensive movies of all time, but also one of the biggest flops of all time. So it no longer, I think, holds a title as one of the most expensive movies. At the time, it was. Yeah, at the time it was. But see, here's the thing. I'm look so I'm only looking at again, I'm looking at the Wikipedia article. I'm not going to go try to find box office mojo or any of that kind of stuff. And according to the sideline of Wikipedia of just the the overall information of the film, the budget was 172 to 175 million. Yeah, it made box office. It made two hundred and sixty four point two million. So even though it was a critical and audience flop, the movie made its money back. Well, not in its original box office run. It did not. Okay, well, it did not break even in its original run. It would actually do better overseas, and then it would pull right. a lot in from VHS sales and and later yeah. later pieces. It. So it would actually recoup its costs and then some, but yeah, it was a flop. Now, one of the problems was during production, this was sort of that transition point where studios were trying to start saying, hey, one of the selling points of this movie is that it's very expensive, as if something that's really expensive is going to be worth going to go see. This is also during a time where theaters were no longer showing just two movies at a time. Theaters were now showing... 15 movies at a time there. We were getting those mega theaters in those right in the 95, 96 era. So it was a very different cinema economy than what we're used to. I can't remember what beat it uh, in its first run. I think it was top of the box office first weekend and then got trounced, whatever the weekend was after that. Mm. Not sure what it was, but it was getting really, really bad press. And this is the internet at this time was really not a thing. It was really just inching along. So there weren't a lot of people going online to learn about the production of this Mad Max on water film. A lot of that was coming out from entertainment tonight and newspapers and trade magazines and stuff like that. People were starting to hear about this huge budget that was coming out that was originally set up for a hundred million and then continued to balloon beyond that because of so many issues. Right. So when the movie came out, it was getting bad reviews. People had already heard all of these problems with production, like Joss Whedon. Yeah. You know, whatever, whatever you feel about Joss Whedon now and his, in his post, he got canceled life Mm -hmm. went out, to do uh, script rewrites. He was a known script doctor. So he went down to try to fix the script. Apparently did not do very well. Did anything that Kevin Costner had his fingers on, Joss Whedon couldn't touch. So as far as the editing and the script going, I will tell you, I have a, I obviously love this movie. This is a movie that is very sentimental for me. The original theatrical cut is a mess. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. The the story, the plot, the editing, there's glaring issues that you really cannot if you really spend some time, you really just can't wrap your brain around. There's so many scenes that just don't make sense because they edit out really crucial pieces to try to shorten it down. So 
when the movie finally comes out, as far as I know, historically, it just had a really bad vibe to it. So people didn't go to see it. It just, it didn't do very well. I will say it was kind of that last big budget film though, during that era before everything was about special effects. Everything was about CGI. After this, you start seeing Lost in Space and you start seeing Independence Day and you start seeing these giant special effect CGI extravaganzas. And that's why you should go see it. Jumanji was look at all the money we spent on this and the special effects that go with it that do not hold up in the least anymore. They are. You, Hey, you leave that baby rhino alone. That baby rhino effect running across the, the, the intersection still holds up. Oh, that, that's adorable because that was basically me trying to run track in gym class in 1996. It's fine. You know, that that rhino came out and I'm like, I, I get you, brother. I get you. So I'm trying to find information here and I did an, I, I went on and, and I muted myself here on the, on the recording. I went on Google and I'm like, 1995 box office. And of course, guess what it brings me to? Box Office Mojo by IMDb Pro. Okay, so in-year releases, wide film releases, 1995, okay? The top 13 films, according to Gross and and all of that. Yeah, I'm just going to say, yeah, gross, gross amount. Number one, Toy Story. 100%. Batman Forever, Apollo 13, Pocahontas, When Nature, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls is number five. Oh, God. GoldenEye, Jumanji is number seven. Casper is number eight, seven, with Freeman and Pitt is number nine. With a Vengeance, Samuel Jackson, Bruce Willis is number 10. Crimson Tide, number 11. Waterworld, number 12. And number 13 is Dangerous Minds. Now, this list is. 148 films for that year. I'm not going through all of that, but any of those 11 films before Waterworld, any of them could have trounced it the second week. Uh, Maybe not Ace Ventura when nature calls, but Die Hard with a Vengeance, Batman, Goldeneye. I mean, Goldeneye was huge. 1995? Oh my god, James Bond is back. We haven't seen James Bond since 1989 with License to Kill and Timothy Dalton, and all of a sudden here's Pierce Brosnan. You know, so... Oh, but but don't get me wrong, but if you look at the trend for a lot of the movies you just mentioned, Mm -hmm. a lot of them are that start of that transition to special effects extravaganzas. Batman for oh, absolutely yeah Apollo thirteen it was Jumanji was on that list which Jumanji was marketed as check out these amazing special effects that's right really yeah a, a big piece of it and Waterworld was one of those movies that started using that new technology but had a lot of practical effects the biggest the biggest practical effect out of that entire film was the Atoll set, which you, yep. you can't forget that because that was one of the main sets of the whole thing. It was the size of a football field. It was several tons of steel. Apparently it sank at one point and they had to raise it back up. And 
Steven Spielberg would go on record to say that after Jaws, he would never film on open water again. He would film on lakes or he would film in a studio with like a water tank. He would never go back out to see again to film. And he put that warning out there and whoever made that decision, whether it was Kevin Costner or Kevin Reynolds did not listen. And that was one of the reasons why the movie struggled so much throughout production. People were getting attacked by jellyfish. People were getting washed out to sea. Kevin Costner was like tied to the top of the mast of the boat and the boat just caught a squall and he went sailing yeah. out <laughs> open ocean. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was apparently a nightmare of filming. The co-star Helen, uh, who played Helen, uh, what's her oh, name? Um, oh geez. It's uh, not Elizabeth. Yeah, Jean um, Triplehorn. Yeah. Jean, yeah, geez, Jean something. And the I funny thing rumor. is, is I go ahead. You read a rumor. Oh, I was going to say, I, I read a rumor that she wouldn't actually not go near a swimming pool for months afterwards. She just said, no, I just hated being in the water. I don't want to go in the water. She hated it so yeah. much. Um, but. Oh, that's who she is. Okay. She's into a, I mean, not, I mean, I like these movies. I'm going to say they're my favorites, but they're two of my favorite uh, 90s films. She was Dr. Beth Garner in Basic Instinct with Michael Douglas and um, Sharon Stone. And she was the wife of Tom Cruise in The Firm in 1993. So I, cause some of these, some actresses, I just like, I hear, like I saw, I like, I've heard her name like five times now since I've been watching the trailer stuff and whatever else. I'm like, Jean Triplehorn, Jean, who is she, like, what has she done kind of thing and, and everything else. So yeah. Um, so go ahead. She Sorry. was pretty solid. I, she was pretty solid. I'll admit there's a couple of moments in that movie where she's really convincing and good. And then there's other scenes where. I feel like she was just going crazy at that point and didn't know what else to do. Right. And she did her best. I I think the movie kind of went downhill a little bit when she got all of her hair cut off and she out of nowhere fell in love with the Mariner. And even my (laughs) wife watching Waterworld with me said, why on earth would she start making out with this guy? And even when they started making out in one scene, mm-hmm. it looked like Helen uh, or Jean Triplehorn, whatever her name is. Yeah, Hel- yeah, Helen. Yep, yep, yep. I know. Yeah, yep. I got it. Looked like she was trying to make out with like a statue. Like mm-hmm. Kevin Costard, I think, just showed up that morning, woke up, and chose to be cardboard mm-hmm. during a lot of his scenes because he is as monotone and unemotional as you can imagine. I don't know what his situation was. I don't know what his motivation was, his character choices, but he, if he was looking to try to come off as being not human, he did a great job, which I know that's part of his character because he's supposed to be a mutant of some sort. Yeah. So with all of this being said, with why is it with all these production issues, I admit there's some editing issues. There's some script issues. Why do I like it? So as I was kind of mentioning before, I actually have about six different things as to why I like this film. Okay. Before we get into your, your, your your top six reasons of why you like Waterworld, just to kind of close out the box office thing. I've looked on here by year dates, you know, 
for the year of 1995 for film releases. I'm not going to go through all of these, but in Ju- in July, hey, th- this works because we we are we are in July here on on Toycast. July 7th to 9th, July 14th to 16th and July 21st to 23rd, Apollo 13 was number 1. All, all of those those weeks I just mentioned. Waterworld comes in July 28th to 30th and August 4th to 6th as the number one film. What knocked it off? The next, the next uh, August 11th to the 13th? You, it, this is going to kill you. This gonna, I'm, I'm shocked at this, but this is going to kill you. For one week, Dangerous Minds was number one, and Dangerous Minds knocked... Waterworld out of the number one spot. <laughs> oh wow! After that, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat, Apollo thirteen, Mortal Kombat, and then Tu Wong Fu, Julie Newmar, and then Seven spent a numerous oh, I, amount. So of- if Mortal, so Mortal Kombat and all these movies, you can really tell that these are all movies that had to incorporate a little bit of CGI, but CGI was so expensive at that time right. to use. So Water uh, Waterworld does use it. So the the scene with the D's at the end where you see the giant oil tanker yep. was shot in a parking lot, which, yeah. I had, which I had no idea. So that's just how well done some of those effects are that you may not even tell that this giant oil tanker that's rusted out and filled with all sorts of holes and people in it running around. It was filmed. A lot of those scenes were filmed in a parking lot in L.A. No yeah. water nearby. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like Waterworld, for all of its story faults and all of its whatever, it is one of the last films. The, one of the last. I I I I'm going to throw up in my mouth if I say great, but it's one of the last films that uses practical effects because by the time 1996 rolls around, you've got all the special effects and everything else in the 97, 98, 99 and all, and all that. So yeah, no, absolutely. Waterworld, perfect practical effects. Well, and that goes into literally my first point of why, why I like it so much. Okay. It is not a well-written, well-directed, well-edited movie. It is not, it's not bad. It's really not bad. There are worse out there, but their dedicated production quality and the uses of tons of practical sets and effects really sets it apart. Even by today's standards, the level of depth and care that they put into all of these characters, everybody has their own unique costume and design and story. I will admit sometimes seeing these people in a post-apocalyptic flooded earth, all having very nice shiny white teeth, especially Dennis Hopper <laughs> doesn't really make sense. Yeah. But no. Maybe maybe he had toothpaste. They don't really ever go into it. But he had he had neon white teeth in this movie. I don't know why they couldn't just have him chew on something yellow or black or something. I don't even know. But especially because he was a smoker and his teeth are neon white. Mm-hmm. Just check it out. Trust me. But every costume, every character had so much unique detail and design that you almost have to look at it and see what is that reused from. Whether it was Kevin Costner walking around in what I think were ski boots, which as a kid, I'm thinking, oh, those are just cool boots to realize they're just rusted out ski boots. And why was he wearing ski boots in that sign? Excuse me, in that scene. 
one of the reasons why he was wearing ski boats and ah, I keep saying ski boats. Is there a such thing as a ski boat? Bat ski boat? Oh, the bat ski boat. From the bat ski Canada. boat. Yeah. The ski boots. I don't talk about ski boots a lot. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But he put those boots on, not because it was just a random scene, but he had to hide his webbed feet. And it something that didn't really occur to me till much later in watching that stuff. But the weaponry that they used, the fact that the people in the atoll didn't have guns, but they had shark teeth spears and shark teeth arrowheads, and they were using water to shoot at the smokers as they came over. Uh, the smokers all had all of this machinery that was salvaged and put together and kept together. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily make sense about that because I've heard you actually need to flush saltwater engines out with fresh water upon using them. So where do they get enough water to do that? I don't know, but there, everything has a story. The, the actual boat itself, mm -hmm. one of my other points about the Trimaran boat that Kevin Coster goes around in fascinated me as a kid. I loved it for every single second because it's a giant cool toy. It's the hero vehicle. It's the Millennium Falcon, the Batmobile. Think of any massive well-known vehicle and that's what it was supposed to be. And I loved that thing. Now, there was actually no actual functioning boat that did everything depicted in the movie. It's just impossible to do that with a boat. Yeah. But there are two or three boats that were created for it. I think one was the actual racing boat that could sail and go really fast. Right. There was the trolling one that went a little bit slower. And then I think there was the one that had all the mechanisms built into it that you see in the film that uh, Nostalgia Critic on Channel Awesome just said, it's just a movie about things doing stuff. There's things, there's stuff. And he, he really gets into that. But the boat is fascinating because it does look like a vehicle that this guy has lived in. He's been in it for a while. There's junk hanging up. There's random items that play no piece in the entire movie. If you watch some of the scenes where he's in the lower cabin of his boat and you see the stuff hanging in there, there's stories to be told about everything that he has found, why it's in there, what he uses it for. Doesn't come into play in the movie, but it's there and it kind of helps tell that story. And in the later cuts of the movie where they add more scenes like the Ulysses cut that I've mentioned in the past, you get to see a little bit more of the boat, a little bit more of the stuff he does, some of the stuff that he's rigged up, the technology he's recovered. And a lot of this is assuming that the world ended in 1995 or so, 1994. 
because the peak of technology that he finds is a CD player, a Walkman or something <laughs> like that. That's right. the peak of technology. Yeah. And he somehow reconnects and gets a, a CD player to work again, and he's playing jazz music off of it, which wasn't in the theatrical cut, but it's a really cool part of the overall film. So having that really dedicated production quality, especially into that boat, is something that still impressed me that day. I wanted that boat. I wanted to sail that boat. And one of the things about me during the time that I was watching it, like 96, 97, I, I was an adolescent. I, I was 12, 13, 14 years old. I wasn't exactly having the best go of it. So having that little feeling of solitude of just, you know, I'm kind of done with people. People kind of suck. Kind of want to just go out and sail the world nomadically. Like seemed like a really good alternative to what I was dealing with at the time. I'm not trying to play therapist right now with you. Cause I think you'll probably just tell me to suck it up and go cry in the corner. But it really helped me feel like there was more out there than what I was dealing with. And I gave a speech about this when I was in uh, a communications class. We had this class called communications in middle school or junior high, whatever it was. Right. And I remember kind of just pouring my heart out saying, I kind of envied this lifestyle of just sailing nomadically and kind of doing this thing. And the teacher actually made fun of me in front of a class that I was already very sensitive in front of. So what, what, what part of your schooling was this? This was either seventh or eighth grade. Okay. So no, I'm not going to tell you to go sit in the corner and suck your thumb and suck it up and not, and not, no, hell no. Because here's the thing. Something sort of similar happened to me in first grade where I was at school, I could keep my backpack in, in its cubby and that's fine or in my locker or whatever, you know, first grade. This was first grade, so we had cubbies and whatever. We didn't really have lockers yet. But I never could keep the inside, you know, those old desks that you could sit at, at that, you know, open, you know, desk opens up from the, from the whatever. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, opens from the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So... I'm sitting there in my desk and I'm rummaging around looking for a pencil so I can write down what the teacher's trying to say. And I had everything in my desk. I had, I was the Jolly Rancher salesman. I was this, I was that. I was, you know, <laughs> I was, I was kind of king of first grade for a little while for about a week or, or three. And, but my, the inside of my desk was a mess. Mrs. Weston, I will never how this this old ass teacher lady was married. I have no idea. She gets fed up with me. Michael Blanchard, what are you doing? What are you? Lo I'm looking for a pencil, Mrs. Weston, so I can write down what you're saying. Oh, okay. You want you want to find your pencil here? Get up, Michael. She makes me get up, stand behind her whilst. And this is like Mrs. Weston had to be somewhere between late 40s, early 50s, but she was an old lady teacher. And of course, us at, you know, five, six, seven years old in, in first, second, third grade, kindergarten, all that, most of the old teachers look like they're, you know, 80, 90, whatever, you know, because as a kid, anybody over 25 is old to a kid kind of thing. Yep. This lady. Oh, my students say I'm 55. <laughs> 
<laughs> this old lady picks this desk up and dumps it out onto the floor. So, just so I could get my pencil. And so when you say that this teacher made fun of you in front of the cl trust me, I have all the sympathy in the world for you, and we can probably unpack those issues on a different podcast altogether somewhere else in the network. But, but yeah, I mean, go ahead, continue. I, I'm I'm sorry. I, I, yeah. Well, I I mean, I I was I was bullied seventh and eighth grade. It it was not fun. It was not easy. And I think that's why the movie kind of appealed to me was here's this guy. I was not a very outgoing social person. I had a couple of really good friends and they're, they're people who kind of helped define who I am and always will be. Right. But I really was at a point where I'm like, I kind of prefer disappearing, you know, and not in a, that, that's, that sounds kind of morbid. <laughs> Maybe even edit that out. I sort of just felt like I would be okay surviving and being on my own and having this nomadic lifestyle out there of sailing in a boat and, and being in places that I wanted to be in. And I think sometimes with adolescents, they, that, that's not an uncommon feeling of I want freedom and I want to be where I want to be and for whatever reasons I want to be there. So <laughs> it, it kind of fed into that a bit. Yeah, and I'm not going to... Yeah, no, no, no. And I'm not going to edit that out because that's not a bad thing because everybody as a kid has had a moment where they just want to disappear. Like they don't want to die. They don't want to whatever. They just like they just want to be invisible. They j there are all kinds of Disney like I I don't remember what the actual plot line is, but I know there is a Disney Channel original movie, a DCOM out there called The Invisible Sister. Okay. I know that in Home Alone, one of the Home Alones, either one or two, not any of the other remaining five or six or however many Home Alones there are yeah. now. But in the first two films with Macaulay Culkin, in one of them, he says to his mother, sometimes I wish either my whole family could disappear, which that's kind of, that's kind of a little morbid, but, or I could disappear because he's having a moment where, and you know, you, you were having a moment where you were like, yeah, I either want to sail away like, Robin Hood is in this movie, you know, going up against King Koopa. And, you know, I just want to be by myself. Dude, I have been a loner my entire life. I always say that I don't mind being by myself or being alone, even though at times I get lonely because there are, it's two completely different things. So I completely understand what you're saying. And it's yeah. not something that, again, these podcasts, even though we're supposed to be talking about action figures, I want my podcasting to go beyond that. And if we have to unpack emotional issues that fucked you up as a kid in middle school, let's do it. Well, it, and I, I think that was a big piece of it, though, is that I think now as an adult, having that similar emotion of wanting to disappear, I understand that there's different coping mechanisms I could have. There's different ways I can approach that. Back then it was, let me just jump on a boat and, and get away and, and go do something and, and be able to not be dependent on anyone else. 
but to jump kind of back into things, um, I mean, I can, I can go into the, the psyche I had in, in middle school quite a bit, but I think on a side note, one of the things that really appealed to that movie, when we started this podcast off, you had mentioned something. I don't think we were recording at that point. You had said something about, you're just looking forward to winter and it being darker. Yes. I, I hate the cold. I hate the, the darkness. I, I like being in tropical areas. I don't mind heat as long as I have the things I need to survive. Like if, if it's 94 degrees out and I don't have any water, I'm going to be pretty grumpy. Yeah. But if not dead. And f- yeah. And, and for me, it's the complete opposite. You know, you don't, I, uh, <laughs> I've told this story before too. I don't know if I've told it on this podcast cause we just started doing this podcast X number of episodes ago. But when Karen and I met in person for the first time, when she first came to see me in August of 20 or September of 2017, it was September of 2017, and it was still hot in Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, whatever. It was still, uh, you know, it was like 85 degrees, 89 degrees, whatever. And for some odd reason, the air conditioner in her car didn't work at the time or something happened or whatever, and I got too hot. We were on a side road or whatever. We were on some back road, like literally the only thing that was like right next to us was a pizza hut. That seemed to be closed down because there was, this was the middle of the day. It was like lunchtime and there was nobody at this pizza hut. Maybe it was closed down for good, whatever. Anyway, I got so hot and sweaty sitting in her car. I said, you need to stop. I need to get out because I don't want to puke in your car. And I ended up puking all over the sidewalk because heat and I do like, I can freeze myself and I'll be fine. I have no problem with that whatsoever. So yeah, we are essentially, you know, the hot water, cold water handles on a, yeah. on, on a, you know, whatever it is, what it is. Well, and, and a big thing for me was I used to bust this movie out when it was the dead of February, negative 13 degrees out pitch black at four thirty in the afternoon. And I would bust this movie out on a cold day and I would feel like it was summer again because I used to watch this movie a lot in the summertime when I just would be up all night. I'd pop the VHS in. My dad would refuse to turn the air conditioning on in the house. So I'd have all my windows open. So it's 83 degrees in my room (laughs) and I'm watching a movie that feels like it's 83 degrees all the time. (laughs) And so it, 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 I, I do tend to not actually watch it in the summertime anymore. I tend to only watch it in the wintertime these days. I might still watch it this summer. I don't know. But it, it was it, – it started becoming my go-to, like, comfort place because I knew the movie so well that I attempted to write fan fiction for it. I'll admit I tried writing Waterworld fan fiction. And – I knew the dialogue so well, I didn't have to look it up or watch it. I could actually walk myself through a couple different scenes. And it was just, it was that movie I just glommed onto. I, I knew the the format was actually very predictable. It Obviously, it's a movie that's based off of Mad Max, but it's it's a very predictable, very known structure to a film where it's this lone hero who comes into a situation, doesn't want to be part of it finds out that 
he is now either willingly or unwillingly forced to be part of the solution. And it, it's, it's fascinating. And there's a lot of connections to a lot of other classic action films. So if you like action films, you said you like horror, if you like action films, this has a lot of those common tropes that you can study through a lot of action movies. Actually, Jumanji, if you think about it, there are some similarities in the, the actual plot of this guy who comes into life of some people who want his help, and he doesn't want to help them until he finds out he has no choice. Yep. I will also add, to go back to the the connection to my adolescence, the movie ends with them finally finding dry land. How nobody found dry land, I'll never understand. Maybe there's something in this world about sea currents that keep people only in a certain area. That's a, that's always a possibility, right? They they have to float for the most part. They don't have a ton of oil. Maybe most of human civilization is caught in certain sea currents that they can't get out of. And that's why nobody's ever found dry land. And dry land is actually the peak of Mount Everest, which yeah. there's all sorts of ecological questions there. The, the script writer actually knew that the water available water on the planet wouldn't actually flood it. If the polarized caps melted they'd only go up uh, maybe a couple hundred feet, but not enough to flood everything. Yeah. But again, this is a, you know, this is a work of fiction. This is, you know, it, it's, it's an elseworlds piece. Yeah. There was actually a consideration at one point that there were going to be two moons visible that all of a sudden another moon entered earth's orbit and caused this to happen. So, there, there is a lot of backstory actually to this. There's a ton of backstory that was added into the novelization of the movie, which that happens a lot. And then there was a very short comic series that came out after the movie that was supposed to be an extension of the Mariner. There's, I think, four issues for it. I have them somewhere in storage, I think, somewhere. I don't know where they are. I haven't read them in forever. But there's a great YouTube channel that goes through the comic and gives you the whole plot. And you find out that... Uh, the Mariner, I, I think it was in the novel, not in the comic, but you find out that the Mariner, when it was discovered that he had this mutant ability to swim underwater, he was abused by his dad and like dragged underwater and all this stuff. So there, there's a whole lot more there that the movie just doesn't get. It's like somebody who goes in to get a, a meal at a gourmet restaurant and he decides to order a burger. Everybody knows a burger. Everybody likes burgers, but he orders a burger. And on this gourmet restaurant's menu, the burger has all these fancy accoutrements, yep. right? Yep. And some of them play a larger role into the burger. Some don't. And he just says, I just want a burger well done with American cheese and ketchup. <laughs> and that's kind of what happened with the movie. There's all these little things that add to the universe now, there's been talk of having a show about Waterworld. I think it's supposed to be like on the sci-fi channel or something. There's been talk of that for a while. There's the the uh, the stunt show that is at some of the Universal Studios parks that I still haven't seen that are on my bucket list. Mm -hmm. There's video games, all sorts of video games and, and all sorts of things that came out that build this whole universe almost as if I was never really quite sure. Were they hoping to maybe one day write a sequel? Was this a one-off or was this something to build a universe for a sequel? Obviously it didn't make enough money to have anybody interested in the sequel. And the fact that they're talking about a TV series is hilarious. Yeah. And the fact that like, again, going to Wikipedia in July of 2021, it was announced that universal cable productions 
was an early development on a follow-up TV series to be directed by Dan Trachtenberg. Okay, I do not recognize Mr. Trachtenberg's name and looking at his filmography, Black Mirror, an episode of Black Mirror, an episode of The Boys, and an episode of The Lost Symbol, whatever the hell that is. He's done two films, 10 Cloverfield Lane from 2016, and has that been released yet? Prey in 2022. Uh, so I don't know this guy. Never. Yeah. Yeah. July. Oh, well, that, that's quite literally as we're recording this, folks. Prey is supposed to come out July 21st, 2022. So Prey is on its way. Uh, it uh, looks like he did the boy's name of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't remember that specific episode, but yeah, I've never seen the it, show. So, yeah. Oh, it's great. Uh, it, it could be a, a, a fairly good concept. I mean, it's not very hard. You just need boats in the water and yeah, you don't have to film it in Hawaii and spend a ton of money on Kevin Costner. It could be actually relatively cheap. They could even film it at universal studios because that's what some shows did around Disney world for a few years. But yeah, the at the end of the day, the movie is just kind of a soft spot for me. I you could probably tell me that you like Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. I will disagree with you, but I would love the fact that if you find comfort and enjoyment in that film and you enjoy it and you like it, great. It, it's a fever dream. <laughs> yeah, it is very much a fever dream. So here, here's the thing. I have ever since I was a kid, I, I've been into two things. Movie novelizations. Movie novelizations take leaps and bounds just like other things like prequel comics and things like that do. So actual written prose books, movie novelizations, and movie posters. Okay? And I... 1995, I was 15 years old. I'm sure one of the... or one of the, the the girl groups that were in one of the one of the group homes I was in, I'm sure one of them are like, oh, you know, they went and saw Clueless. Oh, Clueless. Oh, this. Oh, that. And then in 96 and 97, I eventually saw Clueless. And then I saw some other things. And then 97, holy crap, it's Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl. Because whether, it doesn't matter who's playing Barbara Gordon Batgirl, I like the character of Barbara Gordon Batgirl, and I'm just like, holy crap, it's Alicia Silverstone. That's amazing. Best casting ever. So that's the main reason why the, the the original posters for that film and the fact that it was Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl, that's the main reason why I like the film. I also like the film because of uh, uh, Alfred Goff, who, or, or M- Michael Goff, who played Alfred, uh, I'm glad he stuck through all four films. But yeah, no. And that's, Batman and Robin is, like like you said, it is a fever dream. It's it's not as, it personally, my personal opinion here, it's not as bad as, as Waterworld because I think it's two very different levels of bad. Like, it's superhero bad. It's not practical effect, bad story bad. Well, Waterworld... I would say my my opinion of the story has changed a lot when you see all of the versions of it that have come out, if you watch them back to back, which I'm not saying I've done that, but I've seen the three different versions from the theatrical to the TV cut to the Ulysses cut. 
Yeah. And you see the glaring issues with the theatrical when you see the Ulysses, but you watch the Ulysses cut and there's its own glaring issues in that because Kevin Costner's Mariner comes off as a terrible, terrible, terrible person or whatever you want to call him, a muto or whatever. He, he comes off as a dick is what he comes off as. Yeah. We, he, when in the theatrical cut, it's not a hundred percent sure if he's actually trying to sell Enola and Helen off to slavery. It's, not clear because the editing and the script is awful at that point, but it is very clear in the Ulysses cut that not only was he going to sell Helen into sex slavery and possibly the little girl for a couple scraps of paper, but then later on, he probably was going to sell them into slavery of some sort and just leave them be. It's not until like the last fifth of the movie that he actually decides that, Eh, I should probably not let them die. It's <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. But I, I will say though, looking at the toys now, so I, I'm turning around in my room because my back is to my Waterworld toys as much as I hate to admit it. I wish I could see them every single day. Okay. So I'm looking at the line and I have the entire line carded and loose. I think I might be missing one accessory, like one missile or something like that, but I'm not very concerned about that. Yeah. So in the line, this is a pretty traditional Kenner line from, I would say 96 and earlier. Mm -hmm. You have a five inch scale and I'm going to go a little in depth in each one right now. I'm not going to go crazy with it, but you have the five inch scale, which was pretty typical of toy lines at the time from Terminator to alien to, uh, what what else was out then? Even Super Mario Brothers, which came out, I think, two years before that, was around that scale. Toy Biz was at that scale. Everybody was doing the five-inch scale. So if you see these figures, the figures themselves, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen pictures of them, and I've sent you pictures, the actual figures themselves have no shared parts with any other Kenner toy line, which is a bit unique at that point in time. Now, I'm saying the figures themselves the Kevin Costner's in the line do share a couple of parts. And I think it's kind of funny to mention that because (laughs) there are one, two, three, four, there's technically five different Kevin Costner figures. And I say that because one has a variation, like there's a torso variation between the same figure. And I finally got both of those. Thank you. $5 sales at Kane County toy show. (laughs) But looking at the line, not only is Kevin Costner very clearly depicted in the sculpt, you look at that, you know, it's Kevin Costner. If you know who Kevin Costner is, the packaging is actually really pretty unique. It doesn't have a bunch of glaring graphics of with fire launching action or anything like that. It's a pretty nice logo for the movie. And that's about it. You can see the character's name in the upper right hand corner. And that's about it. It's only the deluxe sets, which is the Smoker Thunder Ski and the Mariner Wave Ripper, which are like little jet skis. Those are the only ones that actually have a graphic of the figure on the package, which I don't know why you necessarily need that. I'm not sure. Right. But the packaging is actually pretty unique, pretty clean, pretty nice. It's pretty eye-catching. It's great colors at the time. And the figures themselves don't have any built-in action features, which to me, I would have loved these as a kid because 
they would have been very straight up figures. Kenner did a really good job with most of the Batman Dark Knight collection figures. There's only a handful that had action features on them, like kicking or punching or something like that. Right. I can think of two. So you just had a basic five points of articulation, well-sculpted figure. And then you get another accessories. Everybody comes in with a pack-in fish. <laughs> like <laughs> a, tra- a translucent fish of some sort. An octopus or a barracuda or something. Nothing that was ever in the film, but pretty cool little items. And I still have them. And I often mix them in with my Ghostbusters figures because they kind of look like fish ghosts. So it's kind of cool. But the weapons they came with are one of the only things that are reused from other toy lines. So, and and I just had Ados Baron here, or Ados Baron as I like to call him. And he was taking a look at him and we kind of agreed that a lot of the gimmicks were borrowed from other Kenner lines. Like there's a weapon from Jurassic Park, a weapon from maybe Predator, and I think another line I can't think of, maybe Congo or something like that. The, uh, the Deacon's weapon is from a Batman figure. Yep. Some of it looks like it's screen used. Some of it looks like it's not. I I think a few of the weapons for the bad guys look like they could have been used in the movie. But the 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 actual gimmicks are pretty functional. They're they're ridiculous. They had they were not in the film whatsoever, like the bola attack mariner. He did not have a twin <laughs> bola attack thing ever. Yeah. But knowing that gimmick, if I were to try to shoot it at another figure, it would work. The net function works. The uh, the power bow mariner, he's got an actual bow and arrow that functions and works. It's really cool. It's not spring-loaded. It actually uses the string to fire. So they're really cool functional toys, which at that time in the 90s, you got some pretty unusual weird stuff. And the boat, the, the Tremarin, I feel like I'm working off a script right now. I'm just kind of looking at them and riffing. <laughs> right, yeah. The, the boat itself is not only a vehicle, but a functional playset. It's got multiple pegs, and I'm not holding it. I just know it really well. You know, I can't remember to grab stuff at the grocery store, but I can tell you all the features on the Tremarin. Like, <laughs> um, but it has multiple pegs on the boat that you could put all of the figures on. So you could have multiple figures on the boat. The boat has wheels on the bottom of it. So if you didn't have water, you could just use your floor and just roll it across your floor. But if you did have water, the boat functions in the water. And it did have the sail that comes out of the hull that you could actually pull up and and tie to the top of the mast and the mast extends. It's actually quite a large toy. I can't really find a place to display it anywhere in my room. (laughs) And... The one time I actually had it out, I accidentally stepped on it and crushed the front hull. Oh, God. How did you do that? Complete. I just, I fell. I was setting stuff up on the top shelf and I fell off the stepladder and stomped right on it and shattered it. So I was able to glue it back together for the most part, but I don't think it'll ever be water worthy ever again. (laughs) But it does float and it does move across the water pretty well. And I remember... Uh, I, I don't remember exactly when I got it. I think I must have still been in high school when I got the toy line because it's always been dirt cheap. And a couple of people do try to sell it for way more than it's worth. Like none of these figures are, should be sold for more than 10 bucks right now. I love them. I hope one day I can make a million dollars off of them, but they should never be sold for more than 10 bucks. 
So I, I know I got the entire set in college packaged. It was either high school or college packaged off eBay for probably 40 bucks. Whoa, there goes my microphone falling off my shelf. Hi. Ooh. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Let's move on, shall we? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, geeks and geekettes. Looking for a podcast that covers a vast array of topics? Then check out Altered Geek Unleashed, where we discuss our thoughts on this week's geeky news, tech, gaming, television shows, movies, cartoons, comics, and more. So, get altered, get geeky with the Altered Geeks, every Friday on the GeekCast Radio Network. What was that universal greeting again? Never mind, I remember. Ba-weep, grana, weep, ninibong. Hey guys, it's Rodimus Primal, and be sure to check out my YouTube channel. Join me as I have Transformers discussions, retrospectives, toy reviews, and more. You can also follow me on Twitter at Rodimus Primal, as well as Facebook and Instagram at Rodimus Primal Show. Transform and roll out, and be sure to check out my content, Till All Are One. Last big party of the summer, folks. Let's go out with a bang. Discover a world of vintage and modern toys that's more than meets the eye with the Triple Takeover Toy Cast. Hosted by toy writers and photographers Toybox Soapbox, 6O, and TF Square One, this informal and chilled out series of discussions cover everything from vintage Transformers to Mask, Diaclone, Microman, and more, be it nostalgic or current. Whether you're a seasoned collector or a casual robot enthusiast, all are welcome. Triple Takeover Toy Cast. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One of the primary themes of ToyCast is that we focus on 
times past. We are who we are today because of the nostalgic memories and experiences from our childhood. Obviously, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if it weren't for the toys that make us so addicted to nostalgia. Times Past Collectibles in Chicago, Illinois is your primary go-to collectible store to reclaim the toys that drove those memories and experiences. Specializing in action figures from all of your favorite toy lines like Star Wars, G.I. Joe, He-Man, Transformers, Silverhawks, Ghostbusters, TMNT, Mask, and more, get your dose of nostalgia with a shop run by collectors for collectors. Whether you are looking for loose G.I. Joe, Ice Cream Soldier, a packaged Leonardo, recent Star Wars Black Series figures, or an AFA-graded Boba Fett, Times Past Collectibles is bringing you back to your childhood. Visit the shop at 1450 North Ashland Ave in Chicago, just two blocks south of Ashland and North Ave. Call the shop at 847-830-1031 or email timespastcollectibles1982 at gmail.com. You can also find them on Facebook. Just search Times Past Collectibles because, folks, it's past time that you get your collectibles. The Toys of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe is available for pre-order now. This official guidebook is published by Dark Horse Books and features over 750 pages of photos and information on your favorite He-Man and She-Ra action figures. And don't miss out on the exclusive bundle pack available for pre-order now from PowerCon. This bundle includes the official guide as well as an exclusive character guide supplement that you won't be able to buy anywhere else. Don't miss out. You have the power. have melted, and the earth lies beneath a watery grave. Those who survived have adapted to a new world. Enter the watery world known as Waterworld, a post-apocalypse where everyone looks like they sleep in SpongeBob's dumpster, full of makeshift vehicles, resource-hoarding warlords, and... Here, I'll save you some time. It's Mad Max, but wet. Uh, so I think I was saying uh, the boat is, is very, very functional. There was one time I put it out in our pool that we had at the time. And I, I did have to do a lot of these experiments when nobody was home. So I had to wait till I was by myself at home as a teenager. Uh, and instead of doing things that you would typically assume teenagers would do if they're home by themselves, I was out in my pool with the Tremarin trying to see if I could get the sail to actually function to propel the boat across the pool. And it worked. <laughs> it it wow. didn't work well because the sail doesn't have any sort of tension or anything like that, but it worked. So the, the worst part about the, the boat itself though, is that it does have the netting just like in the movie, but it's really hard to attach. I never figured out a good way to attach it. And it's really weird that they only have these little nubs in there that you're supposed to hook it onto. It's, it's pretty annoying, but it's functional. If you can get it set up, it does work pretty well. And as a kid, I always wanted to customize the boat because there was only like, I'm sure you're shocked by this one or two websites that had any sort of dedication to Waterworld about it. There, nobody cared about it for years. <laughs> no. And just lately in the last few years are people actually starting to care. But 
somebody did a custom job where they repainted it, made it look like it was worn and rusted and it was beat up. And I've always wanted to do that. And I'll probably try eventually now that I have glue and stuff. Right. But the toy line compared to a lot of other, like even comparing to other Kenner toy lines, like I'm looking at the Ghostbusters, which again, a couple years earlier, but same really deep, like, excuse me, let me rephrase that. The same concept of eye catching packages. You've got your figure. They've got a pack in creature of some sort and a functional accessory. And it just works for kids and toys. You open it up, you have an instant adventure. You have Egon versus the ghost. You've got the Deacon versus his piranha or whatever you want to have him do with this piranha. Right. Maybe he's going to be chased by his piranha. I don't know, <laughs> but it, it does it hold up as one of the greatest toy lines of all time? No, but is it a good toy line? Yeah. And I've heard a rumor that the only reason Kevin Coster signed off on his likeness, sorry about my key noise. Uh, the only reason Kevin Coster signed off on his likeness for it was because they, uh, the people at Kenner showed Kevin Costner what they were doing with Han Solo and Luke Skywalker at the time who were, if you remember really buff. Yeah. And said, Hey, these are selling. They're really buff. And he's like, okay, cool. So that's why Kevin Costner in this toy line has pretty big biceps and pretty big pecs. And he's looking pretty svelte. So, <laughs> yep. you know, it, it, it was that era in the nineties where everybody suddenly was muscular. Yeah. And it's just, it, <laughs> Look, like I mentioned earlier when I was listing off all the 1995 films, that list is a list that has some really good films on it. At the same time, there's also Waterworld, there's also other things that came out in 1995 that weren't really good. But Waterworld, for you, is something that affected your life and that's absolutely fine that's you know that's you know just like you know going to see pierce brosnan in the, in the theater with you know seeing because look james bond to me in the 80s was roger moore and there's nothing wrong with sir roger moore but there's only so many times you can see the man with the golden gun and not you know, whatever. And then 1995 rolls around like whole new era of bond, you know? So we all have our histories. We all have what makes us who we are and who we've been for X number of years that we've been alive. Waterworld is one of the things that brings you enjoyment and you actively acknowledge that it is a bad film as far as story and plot and all of that, just like everybody else does. But at the end of the day, they're cool toys because like every, everything you just said about being able to take the boat in how many toys, even though we all took our toys in the tub, but how many toys in the eighties and nineties were actually made like strong enough or made to be taken in the bathtub when we were five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, not many. Did we still do it anyway? Well, yeah, we're kids. We're stupid. We're not going to, leave the toy mint in box. So, you know what? That's your history. And that's why I wanted to give you this episode to talk about the watering hole of Waterworld. 
because it's something that is personal to you and that that is part of your toy collection. And that's what I want ToyCast to be is not just the origins, not just the display cases, not just us, you know, having a toy topic, but being able to talk about these things that affected us, even though they're just toys. I will also add the soundtrack. Have you listened to it? No. There's a couple songs on there uh, that I really, I, I, I can't, I think one is called Escaping the Smokers. If you want a song to, I used to, I, I had the CD, I would put it in my Walkman and I'd go ride my bike with that one song on repeat. Because that was like the only cool thing my Walkman could do was play the same song on repeat. It would skip all the time, but I could do all right, I don't normally do this, and here's hoping none of the the, the podcast things um, uh, strike me, but here you go. It sounds a little bit like a Western, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all I can play, because if I play anything more than that... Yeah. Oh, it doesn't even get to like the big like crescendo, but right, yeah, I, yeah. I recommend checking it out it, the, the movie like i said kevin coster basically turned it into a bland burger from a gourmet restaurant there's accoutrements with it if you even have a passing interest in the movie i do recommend checking out some of the deleted scenes because they add a lot of context they add a lot more sense they add a lot of unique character development bits there's a scene in the theatrical cut where all of a sudden Kevin Costner has a water ski, not a water ski, a jet ski. He all of a sudden has a jet ski and a shotgun and races off to go rescue Enola. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows how he got it. He just races off in a jet ski into the distance. There's a whole added scene where he legit drowns two smokers who come to harass a bunch of survivors and is able to steal their jet skis and go off. And like, you don't even see that. It's just like, where did he get those all of a sudden? It, it It's interesting to just see that there was more, more put into this movie than they actually got. Hey, wait, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie also came out this year too. Yes. Yes, it did. There was a lot of stuff that came out in 95. Holy yeah. cats. There's so this is, a, oh, this is a topic for studio 2009 where we talk about any audio and visual media. But the 80s and the 90s, and I'd have to really investigate for the 70s, but the 80s and 90s, there was movies, obviously, all throughout each of the years of each of both of those decades, but, like, there was a lot. Again, I I will go back briefly, very quickly. Between 1972 and 1984, Hall & Oates released an album almost Every single one album, every single year in that almost 12 years. That's just what that what what media, what entertainment was the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, in the 90s. You know, you look at 1996, you look at it, all kinds of stuff like, yeah, we can do a whole separate non-toy edit podcast about films and releases and whatever. And I think comparing those releases to toy lines that came out. So for instance, I'm looking through the 1995 list 
Uh, I'm guessing gross is what we're looking at because total gross probably includes VHS and stuff like that. I'm not 100% sure because the numbers are all over the place. But of the following top 10, let's just go with 20 movies, top 10, 20 movies. Which ones of these had action figures? So Batman Forever, yes. Apollo 13, I don't think so. (laughs) Toy Story, yes, of course. So I got two. Pocahontas, yes. Ace Ventura and Nature Calls. Not that I'm aware of. I think Casper had some sort of toys, maybe just from Pizza Hut. Die Hard with a Vengeance needed toys, but never got it. Crimson Tide would have been really funny toys. Yes, yes. Goldeneye got a late-released video game, like two years later, I think. Yep. Waterworld had a toy line. Dangerous Minds would have had a very funny toy line, but it didn't get one. Seven did not, which, again, would have been ridiculous. (laughs) But didn't. Okay, 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 okay. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Stop. Seven. Imagine what Hot Toys can do with Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, and the head in the box. No. I'm, okay, this is going to be one of the most morbid things I suggest on the show. But if you know that was made by Kenner, you know the head in the box would have been spring loaded. Just throwing that out there. Oh, absolutely it would have been because spring loaded was Kenner's thing. So then there was Congo, which had a toy line, which uh, awful, awful toy line, but fun and borrows a lot of gimmicks from so many other toy lines. While you're sleeping, did not have a toy line. Get shorty, didn't. The Bridges of Madison County. Hilarious, but no. Mortal Kombat, the movie, I don't think had a specific toy line. I think there was like the G.I. Joe Mortal Kombat toy line that came out for that. Dumb and Dumber, I would love, would love the Shag and Wagon or whatever they called it. The sheepdog van, that'd be a great vehicle. Yes, that would be. Uh, nine Months, no. Outbreak, no. Braveheart, no. Leg- so less than half the movies that hit the top 20 actually got toys. I don't remember if Jumanji did, but Jumanji's number 32. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm looking fiction- here. <laughs> <laughs> no. Pulp Fiction oh. does not need not need a Casino. Casino. Oh, God. That would have been great. All right. You know what? And, and again, talking about today's standards, today's articulate. You know what? Insert company here, like like a Hot Toys or a NECA or somebody like that. We need basic instinct figures, especially to relive a certain scene in a certain interrogation room. Again, spring action. All I'm saying. <laughs> um, what a squirt. <laughs> Okay, not where I was going with that. I was, I was thinking of what's his name, Wayne Knight. Yeah. Um, Wayne Knight, his jaw would be. Yeah, that's true. Like a like a fright features yeah. jaw from yeah. Ghostbusters. Yeah. He squeezes his arm and his jaw just drops. Yeah, that'd be okay. great. I think that would actually be a fun episode to do in the future, where we pick a movie year mm-hmm. and we go through and we pick two or three movies that need toy lines and describe what they would get. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As far as I can tell, the original '95 movie did not have a toy line, and it. I know there are Mortal Kombat figures. I know there yeah, are. So GI uh, Hasbro made some GI Joe compatible ones, and it's actually a pretty fun little toy line. And then a company called Toy Island took the molds, made them a little bit bigger, and reproduced them. So they're about mm-hmm. four and a half or five inches. I've got a couple of them around here somewhere. 
They're actually pretty fun. But the funny thing is, is that I'm looking at the Mortal Kombat franchise article on Wikipedia. It lists everything other than, like, it's like, obviously the games, because the games are what, what started it. You know, plot, characters, development, blah, 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 blah. Games, other media, films, comics, novels, music, television, stage, show, online gambling game, and collectible card games. It does not list the action figures at all in this article, and it makes me kind of upset that it doesn't. No, but Hasbro and Toy Island just shook the whole computer desk. Hasbro and Toy Island did make... In the '90s, Mortal, Mortal Kombat toys. I yeah, I had I had a couple of them, and I still do. They were compatible with the Street Fighter line, so anybody who wanted to mix Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat finally could. There's actually some really interesting movies that came out in '95. <laughs> yes, Ooh. yes, there is. Casper was actually not a bad movie for the time. It, I think I love Casper. Effects, some of those effects still hold up. Yeah, but. Yeah, I, I, I do appreciate having the option to talk about this. I could probably still go on even more. I, <laughs> I, I you know, it, it's it is it is a fascinating time in cinema. It's probably a fascinating movie. Did you know Jack Black has a small role in it? No, I did not. Jack Black, when he was trying to become an actor, that was one of his roles that he got. It's a very small role. He's the pilot for a water plane in it. He has maybe one line and it's terribly delivered, but it is what it is. Yeah. All right. You can't really ask for great line delivery in that movie. So <laughs> no, but there's a lot of little bits and pieces. There's actually a really funny scene. And if I can try to get the clip and if I can try to get the time on it, I'll, I'll tell you, it makes me laugh every time. So there's a small scene and I'll probably close off with this because I'm sure people are already tuned out by now, but there's a small scene where Helen and Enola were complaining about not eating. So the Mariner ties himself to his boat somehow, has a spear gun, jumps in the water, and he's dragged behind. And this giant sea creature bites him, and he shoots the sea creature. And the next scene is that they're they're grilling up some pieces of this fish that they harvested. Yeah. And they're eating it. And the food, the meat looks actually kind of delicious. I don't know what they're eating in the movie, I'd actually be curious to find out, like, was it chicken? Was it tofu? What were they eating? Because it actually looks kind of yummy. And there's a some character development between the Mariner and Enola. They're going back and forth. And there's just a random shot of her opening and closing her mouth, Enola. Mm-hmm. It looks like she's maybe taking a larger bite or something like that. And it gets synced up with... I want to say maybe a sound of a wave or a sound on the boat. And it sounds like (laughs) if you watch it and you're watching for it, it looks like she just takes this huge, loud bite of air. Mm -hmm. And it's to me, it's just, it's always made me laugh. And it's always hilarious because Enola comes off as this sort of feisty, stubborn, but little girl. And she's sitting there eating this fish. And then she just goes, (laughs) And I don't know how else to describe it. I'll see if I can find it and send it to you because it's just beyond hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. Again, probably not a big deal to anybody else. To be honest. <laughs> All right. So Josh has had his watering hole filled. And uh, yeah, Waterworld, the toy line, like I said, from what you've shown me and from what I've seen online, 
1995, pretty damn good toy line. Movie? Eh? It's subjective at best because some people may like it and some people may not. Look, di- look, Dennis Hopper has done worse. <laughs> I mean, you know, he was fu- he was fun. He was a fun bad guy. He really was. No, absolutely. And I don't mean to disparage the man, but I mean, like, okay. So, and as I'm as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of. Um, I'm not thinking of him. I'm thinking of uh, um, what's his name, uh, Nielsen, Leslie Nielsen. Oh yeah. So seeing the well, what's his name, Aster, Master, Caster, Daster, the, the the Deacon. So seeing the Deacon in this, I'm like, hmm. It kind of reminds me of, like I said, Leslie Nielsen as the bad guy in Surf Ninjas. Oh, like that's, that's another movie we need to talk about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, his, his, uh, you know, Dennis Hopper's career. I mean, you, you, you look at his filmography and, and yeah, it's, um, I think he just kind of became one of those actors who legit, got to the point of I need a payday this I can do pretty much any role you give me without any effort and still come off as bankable at this point in his career like I really think that's what he got to all right like, so do I, I believe this is 40 years but do the math for me 1995 minus 1955 yeah it's 40 okay in 1955 he debuted in Rebel Without a Cause as Goon. Okay, 40 years later in 1995, he plays the Deacon. All right. In between that, he's had films such as, I mean, all of his 80s films, I don't recognize any of these 80s movies at all. Okay, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, he played Lieutenant Lefty and Right. Okay, I recognize that. River's Edge, Hoosiers, I recognize that. But, like, really, seriously, okay. What, you didn't see Space Truckers? No, I did not see Space Truckers. So, seriously, the first time I ever really noticed him was 1993 in Super Mario Brothers. And then, obviously, he was in Speed in 94, and then Waterworld in 95. Space Truckers was not... Ha, ha, oh, ooh. I mean, he's had, but he's one of those actors that he's, he's that in like right in the camera. He's one of those speakers like, you know, you know how he speaks and you know how, you know, whatever. I'll throw a whatever line in here from him. But he's one of those in your face types of speakers. And really, honestly, past 1995, I don't think I know of any of his other... I know of Ed TV, but I've never seen it. But like 2001, he did something called Ticker. Uh, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls in 2003. The Night We Called It a Day in 2002. Like he's, I, I don't know what happened to his movie career. He's he's working great. He's getting movies, but like, I, I don't get it. But again. He's one of those actors that's shown up in several 
really interesting, important. Look, Super Mario Brothers is bad. Waterworld is bad, just overall story wise. All right, but between Super Mario Brothers Speed and Waterworld, no one is ever going to forget Dennis Hopper. No, and he just was one. Like I said, I think he's just one of those actors who was good enough that give him a script like Waterworld, he'd make it his own mm-hmm. and he'd do, he'd be just fine. Speed, Super Mario Brothers, if I remember correctly, because this movie is, that that movie it has a lot of parallels to Waterworld. <laughs> it was his acting choice to hold his hands up close to his chest like a T-Rex. Yes, probably. And walk around like that. Yeah, most it likely. Doesn't, it doesn't, it makes no sense otherwise. But he was doing that. That was his actor's choice. Uh, I could be wrong about that. If I am, great. But it, it was... He just kind of did these little things that just worked. And he just made money. I mean, there's a lot of actors out there who just take roles. And they're like, all right. Like Bruce Willis towards the end of his career before he just retired. Bruce Willis was just doing a bunch of random stuff. None of it really all that good. But he just... I think he just had a salary that worked. He had contract requirements that made sense. He'd probably come to work two, three days, get paid a million bucks and leave. Mm -hmm. You know, if I could, if I can make a million bucks for two to three days of work doing a bad movie, I'll do it. Yeah. You know, did you see American Siege with Bruce Willis? No. Gasoline Alley? No. Out of Death? No. Ooh, Cosmic Sin? No. Oh, that looks amazing. Is that Elijah Wood in, like, space armor? Please tell me that's the case. I, I I have no idea. Motherless Brooklyn, 10 minutes gone. Like, he just was in all of these direct-to-video movies. Because, like I said, he probably was just trying to get a paycheck, and they were not very difficult movies. He probably read the script on his way to the studio in that morning. Yeah, most likely. So, anyways, that was fun. Thank you very much. Um, I do hope you give the movie a chance one of these days. Give it a watch. If you want, there's actually a great YouTube channel called the Atoll that does a great job going over in detail, any of the known information about Waterworld that's out there Mm -hmm. and even showing off some of the very crazy tie in products that I didn't even know existed, like a water powered watch. (laughs) Did you know that was a thing? A water power, like a watch that could use water and certain diodes to work. It's fascinating. There was a theatrical release promo collection that included a leather water bottle or something, all sorts of unusual Mm -hmm. stuff. So I, I do recommend checking it out. It actually has a full review of all the toys, which are fantastic. I will most definitely put in the, the show notes, the, the clip or the, the link to the YouTube channel. All right, folks, next time on Toycast, it's the 150th episode and we have a very special guest coming on the show. And no, sadly it is not pixel Dan, but let me ask you this, Josh. Okay. Would you say just, you know, unmathematically sound. Okay. That toy collectors are 95% male and 5% female? I, I mean, I wouldn't have any information to 
No, I'm saying like your your guesstimate. What is the male to female ratio for toy collectors? Because every episode of Origins that we've done since we started it, it's been all of us guys. And I know there are plenty of females out there that are toy collectors that like collecting things and like action figures and all of that. So, you know. I would say the demographic right now for action figures, like things we designate as action figures and not dolls, I would mm-hmm. say I'd be comfortable with like 80-20. Okay. I would that say sounds, if we expanded yeah. that to stuffed animals or other toys or other things, I, I think, you know, obviously that, that percentage would change. Like Barbie doll yeah, collectors, you're looking at like, you know, it's going to yeah. reverse. Yeah, you, yeah, you're looking at like 60-40 at that point. Or, yeah. Well, not not Barbies. Barbies would be 60-40 the other way, 60% female, 40% male. But yeah, with – yeah. So my point in all of this is the special guest that is coming on is going to be our first female toy collector in my good friend, Heather Hahi Prime. I – so – We've all seen Charlie's Angels, right? We're all old enough to remember the original Charlie's Angel show, right, audience? I yes. Okay, but you know, you know, they go in the the thing, the the intercom starts. Good morning, angels. You you know the whole bit, right? I okay. I, I saw the terrible movies that came out with. Good morning, angels. Good morning, Charlie. Stop it. No, I'm not. Okay, yes, yes, yes. But my point is, is that I have a group of female friends who have been on other Origins episodes in the past. They've been on the Transformers ones and things like that. So it's myself, my good friend Amy, Heather, and Nicole. And basically, I'm essentially their Charlie. So the group that we have on Facebook is Charlie and his robotic angels because we are all Transformers fans. Angels, I suggest you begin by flying immediately to Kane's Corners. So Heather is a part of this group, and she is very stoked and very excited to be the first female guest to talk about toys and answer the 42 questions all about toy collecting. And I am very excited about this next episode because it's going to be very interesting. Well, very cool. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to that one. And anyone listening to the sound of my voice, if you are a female toy collector, you can always email us feedback at geekcastradio.com. If you'd like to be on the show, uh, you know, just, just let us know. I'm willing to, I want to like, it's like I always say in the origins episodes, I am trying to get, the origins of as many fans as I can, whether it's toys, cartoons, Transformers, Masters of the Universe, Power Rangers, anything. So, you know, whatever it is, just get in touch with us and you can be on the podcast too. I believe the t-shirt, right? You're waiting for the t-shirt. You promised me. No. First of all, I never promised you a damn t-shirt. Second of all, (laughs) People can find Josh on Twitter at Floorburger553, unless he's changed it since the last time we recorded. You can also check out ToyCast on GeekCastRadio.com and wherever podcasts are listened to. And for now, keep playing with your toys, and we'll catch you next time here on ToyCast. Later! I, I know I got the entire set 
in college packaged. It was either high school or college packaged off eBay for probably 40 bucks. Whoa, there goes my microphone falling off my shelf. Hi. All right. Well, this is an edit point. Uh, yeah. What the heck just happened? Um, I don't know. Uh, all right. So we're going to put this... Let's see if I can clip this right here. Maybe a little better. I had to send my PC into the shop, so I'm I'm working with my my work laptop right now, and not that that plays too much of a role. Oh shoot, that's not gonna work. <laughs> Let's go. Where are we gonna go with this? This is a good time to stop recording as I figure this out. This is just edit material, and I'll put it in at the end, because you're starting to sing. That's probably better for all of our listeners if they don't hear me sing. That's not gonna work. Well, now I have to use it, because you just sang that. (laughs) Well, you're just asking for trouble. Alright. Might be because it's getting really hot in the room, and the metal's getting soft or something. I don't know. All right, let's try this again. Is this going to work? All right, please don't fall. Please don't fall. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. If, it's, if it falls again, I'll sing again. There we go. Okay. Oh, you're never too old for video games. 